Sports Interaction, Canada Sportsbook. Think you know what way it's going to go? Make your bet with Sports Interaction. Whether it's hockey, football, or basketball, Sports Interaction has you covered. Bet pregame, live, in play, or on one of our many prop bets. Sports Interaction makes it easy to deposit, play, and cash out. Join now and see all sports betting has to offer. Want to bet? Head to sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. That's sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. 19 plus, please play responsibly. All right, Oilers fans, we are back with Game Over Edmonton. I'm joined by my fantastic friend here, Dr. Kenny Van. I wish we could celebrate a win, man. I'm sorry to bring you on for a loss. Well, you know, uh, this this is probably the most peak Oilers thing that could have happened. Get two points versus Tampa, go on a bit of a streak, uh, get our hopes up versus the worst team in the league, and then flub it in the overtime play. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I mentioned it in uh, in chat a little bit earlier, but boy, this this gave me vibes of that Anaheim game, right? Earlier on, it's at Rogers Place. It's a game where the Oilers should easily crush. An opponent and they don't and the columbus blue jackets are the worst team in the nhl and the oilers fall in overtime three two yeah i i just don't know what to say about this team sometimes man yes we we don't have kane tonight uh down in in i think san jose for some regarding his uh bankruptcy case but this is this is a tough loss to swallow, especially when the Oilers were going into it on a six-game heater, you know, undefeated in the Vinny DeHarnay era, as they said, going 11-7. and seven. It seemed to work, just not against this team. <laughs> yeah, and, and one of the things that the chats brought up is that the Oilers seem to play against their, their opponent to their level, right? We played against Tampa, we ratcheted up a notch playing to what some people thought might have been our level. And then against Columbus, we seem to have been missing passes, forcing plays and things just not going our way. And hopefully for our next game against Chicago, uh, I yeah. think they're, they're either statistically the worst team in the West or at least the worst team in Central. Um, and yeah, in that I'd... case, you would think that we should be able to handily get two points off of them. But if we play like we did today, we might be lucky to get one. Yeah, we we cruised into this thinking it was going to be an easy one. Like the schedule gods were giving the Oilers a little bit of a break. You're right. Next game is against Chicago. At this point, they are the worst team in the Western Conference. Um, yeah, it would suck. I I don't want to put this out into the world, but you feel like you have to, right? If the Edmonton Oilers drop games to Anaheim columbus and then chicago that's just inaccept unacceptable right like in the connor mcdavid leon drysettle era and we'll get to the players a little bit later on we'll get to a little bit of a recap of the game losing against these teams when you should be banking points it's just unacceptable now there's trade deadline approaching i think a lot of a lot of speculation has happened in this market as it should uh i i don't know what they even do now right like defense was the original 
sort of uh, issue pointed out earlier on in the season. But in the last couple of games, Broberg's really stepped up, Vinny DeHarnay, and you got guys waiting in the wings, um, like a Nemo Linen. I, I don't know now. Is is defense still the pressing matter? Or do you think we got to look a little bit somewhere else, like a little bit more energy, physical, that sort of thing? I, I'm not sure what the Oilers can do during the trade deadline, simply because, like, glancing at Cap Friendly right now, our cap space is effectively zero, right? Like, unless if some people go on long-term IR or we make some moves that involve, you know, some of our higher paid paid players, we like we can't really grab someone unless if they're incredibly risky, right? Unless we can find a player that's that's that other teams are willing to risk it on because of either like injury issues or because the things are not working on uh, like on their end, but otherwise. Stats-wise, I think the Oilers are in a place where we can't really sign someone to, to really noticeably improve our team. I feel like the Oilers do have all the pieces they need to go on a solid run because mm-hmm. when they're playing at their at what we expect them to play at, they can beat, I think, almost anybody or at least go toe-to-toe against them. It's this well, inconsistency that occurs. Yeah, I mean, like, let's look at it. When you think about Capdom to make trades work, right? The people who come to mind immediately are, you know, Jesse Pugliarvi, Warren Fogel, guys that I don't know at this point, are they are they actually going to benefit the team if they get traded away? Because Jesse Pugliarvi played amazing tonight, right? Like he was physically active. There was the shift when uh, someone on the Columbus team went to go check Pugliarvi in the corner and he just kind of gave them a little little back shiver reverse check and made a man just fall down i swear he hit him with like his spirit his stand it just shot out of his back and smacked him in the face um yes he pulled chipped in uh, on the assist for the Derek ryan goal do you wish that he could contribute a little bit more by himself with three million certainly but man like i i just don't know if a trade with this guy is going to actually improve the team. If you take away his offensive contributions, his defensive contributions, and stick them into someone like a defenseman who's maybe going to take the minutes off of Nurse, does that actually help this team win? It's really hard to say, right? I mean, yes, he's at, at 3 mil and Warren Focus at 2.75. And in, in both cases, you could argue that they're not scoring or generating as many points as you would expect someone with that kind of salary. But the other thing that I'm not sure if it's right to compliment Pugliarvi on this or more of like a criticism of the team overall, but he usually leads our team in physicality in a game, right? With hits, um, he seems like in interviews and like outside of the game, he seems like someone who doesn't want to fight. And he's also seems to be leading the team in fights this year as well. So (laughs) I'm not sure where the physicality is supposed to come from like in, in the team because our, our team is more about like finessing people and then forcing making them, them to look bad right making like them look bad or if if you know they they can't really stop dry or mcdavid effectively so they pull a penalty you know they get a penalty drawn against them and we make them look bad in the power play so it, it, i just i'm not sure what we can do with pulley 
Like, yeah. he's trying. Like, he's he trying. doesn't want to play the physical game. Like, that was not what he was drafted to do. But he's trying to develop that. Obviously, Clem Costin is uh, trying to rack it up mm. his his own numbers for the physicality and hits and fights. Uh, but yeah, JP's been trying everything to make himself stick. And honestly, we saw a couple of uh, little moments, right? There was supposed to be a little bit of animosity. JP doesn't want to be here. He's not talking with the players. They went on a fishing trip together, right? They were drinking Guinness on the ice. We saw the little black box there. Sportsnet didn't do a very good job cropping away the alcohol. Uh, and yeah, earlier on in the Vancouver trip, he was out having dinner with the leadership core, Connor, Leon, Nurse. Uh, it it seems like the guy actually does fit in here. It's a shame that he's making $3 million. If it was less, if his qualifying offer afterwards would be a little bit less, it would definitely help. Uh, it's just tough because if he doesn't go... We're not really able to make a, a trade for anybody, especially when Yamamoto comes back. Uh, I just I did want to quickly say we do have 26 viewers, just 12 likes right now. If you guys could pump those numbers, I'll acknowledge Zach if we do that. Let's hit let's hit 25 because I do want to talk about Darnell Nurse. Not the best game that we saw out of him tonight. Nurse has a habit of being one of the most offensive defensemen, I think, in the league. And he also plays the full length of the ice, right? There are times when you're watching the game where Nurse is leading the rush. And when you have a player like Ryan Nugent Hopkins on the ice, this can be fine because Nugent will play a, a, like a role further back and he'll play relatively defensively and that could cover that, you know, that gap essentially in the defense because our defenseman so far forward, but there were times when he would rush forward. We don't have someone filling in that gap and we would force plays this game for some reason where there are passes that weren't connecting correctly. And they were just effectively, you know, we'd rush into their zone, turn over the puck and then they push the other way. And it was, it turned into a situation where nurse has to work a lot harder than he necessarily needs to because he's skating 200 feet back and forth essentially. Yeah. I mean, this this is what happens when you have a two-way defenseman, right? Sometimes they get caught. But even when he's not trying to join the rush, even when he's not caught deep, you know, I, I've been seeing just a little bit of that stress of him trying to do too much. There were so many icing calls that came this game from Nurse's stick, right? And, and it wasn't just him. I don't know what's going on. Maybe it's the fact that they had a little bit of a break and the passes weren't connecting quite right. But uh, after the first goal, the tip in by Boone Jenner, all of the Oilers passes just for the rest of the period, did not seem like they were connecting. They were either a little, little too far ahead, like a stick length or so ahead, or right into the skates of the guy. And, you know, when you're trying to move the puck up the ice, that doesn't really work when your passes aren't are inaccurate. So what do you do? You try to go for these stretch passes and you try to cover a lot of ice quickly. You know, it's the classic idea of, hey, if you're not able to to get it to the 10-yard line, just punt it, right? And we'll try and get it back on an interception later. There's just so much going on 
when this team isn't playing well and all of the all of that back pressure falls onto Darnell Nurse's shoulders and you start seeing him sweat a little bit. Uh even though they went 11 and 7 tonight, the the minutes they look night and day compared to some of the previous games, right? Like Darnell Nurse had to play 25, CC played 22. Again, that's a pairing that doesn't really seem like they're working. Uh, I'd like to see a little bit more out of, especially like Tyson Berry. Early in the game, Tyson Berry was sitting for a long time. Like something has to click with this team when you're playing against the Columbus Blue Jackets team. Someone has to jump up in there and energize the team. Uh, I think one of the worst players on the night tonight was actually Leon Dreisaitl. Uh I don't know what what did you think because he he was up on that first line and our first line was just not clicking for the first half of the game. It's uh, so my feeling about Dreisaitl is always this weird situation where if things are going well, he looks like peak German efficiency. You know, <laughs> it's minimal effort, maximum goals. When things are going bad, it looks like he's he doesn't really like what's happening, and it looks like he doesn't put in effort because, you know, he if the passes connect, it looks great. But today, like you were saying, the passes weren't connecting, and that really messes up the Oilers' overall game plan of the quick, almost like two to three pass, our zone to their zone setup, and then they're in a world of hurt. But in this case, our passes weren't connecting because of like the the visual on how uh dries how it looks on the ice when he's skating like that it just looks like he's for lack of a better word from our media he looks a little pissy right <laughs> and I, I think i gotta credit like the columbus blue jackets and in particular their goalie this game a lot of the effort from the oilers first line just didn't you know turn into anything yeah. We were looking at the stats right after the game. Like Ryan has five shots on goal. Yes, he has three. And Hyman had two. Um, and they were kind of leading our forwards in that case. And and Hyman yeah. with two was like relatively low for him as well. Since he's. Yeah, he seemed, Fogel, Holloway, they both had three shots yeah. on net. Like, in, our, like in, our depth. Yeah, in, in general, too. Like when we kind of look at it, like Costin had a pretty rough game. He didn't have a single shot on goal and he was on a bit of a hot streak, right? So maybe that break actually cooled them down. I'm not sure. Yeah. It's it's really hard to say. Um, but in, it, in general, like it's our, our first line was was a combined, like depending on how you count our first line, McDavid was minus one, Drysdale was minus two. And depending on who that third person was, it kind of shuffles around a little bit. But if it's Hyman, he was also a minus one. So, yeah, uh, honestly, like when you look at, Zach Hyman's play, right? He's been so good this year. Um, Austin, he's been so good so far. Of course, Austin had a pretty, let's say, hard to sustain shooting percentage. <laughs> he was shooting, what, like 20-something percent? It was insane. But if you take no shots, you can't you can't score a goal, right? Mm-hmm. Right. But- this, is, this was a... Well, overall, the the Oilers did take quite a few shots this game, right? I think that the total at the end of the third period was like thirty five shots for the Oilers, thirty five, thirty six, something like that, something around there. So it wasn't that we like the Oilers themselves weren't taking shots. It's just our first line or a high, our high scoring players just couldn't get things through, right? Yeah, the the, the first line. It, this is the double edged sword, right? 
when you have a very talented line, you know they're going to they're gonna try and generate quality chances. They're not going to just pummel it on net and try to crash and bang in the crease, right? This entire game, so far, it seemed like crash and bang was what worked, right? Like, there was so many chances early on. I think, you know, Ryan had that one, um, again, sort of behind, almost behind the goalie. Pulley had a chance right up front. Uh, he's working on that one-timer, <laughs> especially after practices. I think uh, Drysaddle's been working on him on those one-timers with Pulley uh, Fogel was crashing the net. Holloway had a couple shifts where he was crashing the net. And those were really, those are really good because when you, even if you don't score, you try and shake up the goalie a little bit. You bump them. You're not obviously trying to hurt guys, but you try and create chaos, right? And from chaos, from nerves, that's when maybe you can sneak a little garbage goal through. You don't always have to have the high quality uh, scoring chances against, right? The the top line in McDavid and Dreisaitl, you saw some very pretty plays. Like McDavid had the spinorama to get past a D-man uh, behind the net. He's just trying to drive it right to the front. Like those sorts of plays, when they work, they're highlight real goals. But when they don't, usually means that the puck's just going back the other way, right? Like these are the issues of having a really talented top line. So... What's the answer to that? Mid midway through the game, do you break up McDavid and Dreisaitl? I'm not sure if that would be the solution because um, Dreisaitl is like that elite level playmaker, right? I mean, he's also got the wicked shot, and we can always see that yeah. on display during the power plays. Uh, but he works best when there's someone there who can pass things back and forth with him. And we saw that two years ago with uh, R&H. You know, when, when that line was clicking like crazy. Um, and when we have someone that's a a, a a wing who can score, like Kane, when he's available to play, then we can shuffle McDavid, Kane, and Drysdale really effectively amongst two lines, right? Because in both cases, we have someone who can pass and someone who can score almost at will. Yeah. A lot of the other players on the Oilers team that you've listed – are more of those grind you out almost players. I, I don't want to say like Hyman isn't a finesse player, but the way that he generates chances by like sheer willpower, he shoots, right. he retrieves the puck, he gets it back in their zone, he holds on to it, and at some point, you know, he gets the puck on net, and it becomes a little chaotic. And you know, and sometimes score, you get one through. He scored on his butt. Other players on the Oilers have scored where things have deflected off of other people, and we've just gotten juicy rebounds, right? Yeah, but, McLeod off his knee, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, right. We, that, I think that's one of the biggest perks when we got Kane is that we had another one of those elite scorers that could take passes from both McDavid and Drysaddle and start scoring. And if we have RNH, you know, heading his own line, it 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 becomes this three line kind of trifecta where. Oh, if we put if the other team puts the top pair against you know this, this the top line that we have of hypothetically like uh, McDavid, Drysaddle, Kane that seems to just score whenever they want. Once line two of RNH and then you know Hyman and maybe Costin goes out there, they they have a lot of chances against pair two or pair three even. Yeah. And then the depth can really do their thing by grinding out the other team by you know keeping it in their zone, making them tired. So then when our first line goes back out there. 
things go the way we expect them to go. But right. today that game plan didn't work out, right? Passes weren't connecting. So all of a sudden our general plan of, you know, we'll just get a typical day, we'll get it to dry saddle, they'll score from basically either face-off circle. It just didn't quite work out. Yeah. Like you saw when the Oilers actually had pucks connect, stick like tape to tape passes, like on the power play. That was fantastic. Like, give it, give it up to Corpusalo for like absolutely robbing Drysaddle with his glove. That that one on the power play was insane, right? Maybe candidate for save of the year. Uh, but when you have stuff like Hyman just sneaking behind, stick on the ice, have a firm grip on it, and McDavid can feed a pass and have that sort of tap in goal, like. When the passes connect, that's a beautiful thing. When you don't have a beautiful thing going on, you just crash and bang, you know, like get in there, get a little bit grimy. Uh, before this game, I want to say, I think, oh, let me double check. Let me think about this. I think during um, like the Tampa game, right? Things were so chippy. They were in front of Vasilevsky. Like those sorts of games when the Oilers had, are just trying to score from anywhere that's when they excel and when we have this sort of like okay here's what the first line does here's what our bottom lines do it's a game plan that people catch on to and coaches can prepare for mm-hmm. so the this begs the question right uh oh mgd great point kane and yamamoto they're both out right these are guys that when they come back you expect this team to be a lot better so do you at this moment trade for anyone or do you start thinking, you know what, this team will be fine. Let them roll. They got Chicago, Detroit, Philly, uh, Montreal. They got a ton of games. Like I think it's like six or seven games after this where it's all teams that are in the Bedard sweepstakes. <laughs> so do you think the Oilers need to start making calls? Or is this just play it out? Hopefully we don't lose any more games against these sorts of teams and just wait for the trade deadline. I think the Oilers shouldn't panic, right? I don't think they shouldn't make calls because if a GM on another team is starting to shop around players that we think would be a good fit, and what it means by good fit in this case is something that I'm not sure I can really figure out right because I, on paper i feel like all of our players when they're doing the things they're so that they're capable of doing we have all the pieces there but maybe behind the scenes there's just something not quite clicking so if we can have like a like for like kind of trade where the gm thinks you know maybe i'll trade pool yarvey for someone who's also a similar cap that's also a big body you know that does similar things and they think that'll maybe work better i can see something like that you know, being a reasonable trade, but we shouldn't do a panic move where it's like, you know what? We've been letting in too many goals. We're going to trade some, some of our players and maybe a, and like a, 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 pick, a draft mid round. Yeah. A mid round draft and be like, you know, we'll grab a, a big name defenseman and try to slot him in. Right. Because we don't know if that'll work out. Yeah, and- you're right. Like this is the sort of thing where, a lot of people have mentioned Vladislav Gavrikov, right? He played tonight pretty much invisible, 
right? So is that the fact that he's playing, you know, pretty stable? Like he doesn't really show up because he's just a quiet defender that goes away. I don't know, right? Like you have to think about team chemistry. And if you have a guy who just comes in, maybe let's say it's that left defense that Oilers fans have been clamoring for, you know, I'm sure it looks like Zach has <laughs> signed off for the night, but Jacob Chikrin, right? One of those guys that Oilers fans have been clamoring for for a long time. Uh, Gavrikov, you know, recently, um, uh, what's his name? Matthias Ekholm. All guys that Oilers fans have been trying to get. If those guys come into the lineup, they replace some of Nurse's minutes, but they start pushing guys that are liked in the room, like Roberg, like a Deharnay. If they push them back to the AHL, maybe for a year or two years, does that sort of disrupt your team's chemistry, right? Does that sort of have guys suddenly not really gelling with this new player? I think when it comes down to it, the Oilers right now, you're right, shouldn't panic. The defense has looked fine against some of the best teams in the NHL. And this game is hopefully just a one-off. I know when we lost against Anaheim, that sort of sent us onto a little bit of a spiral. I really hope it doesn't happen now because, again, the next couple of games are all very winnable. Yes. If they do go out and get a guy now, I expect it to be something more like a depth forward. Someone who's maybe going to eventually go at the trade deadline, but you might as well get it done early because it only gonna it's only gonna cost you like a fifth, right? Like something where it's so minor that if you have the the deal done on paper, you just submit it before anything changes. And I, think I don't think this is the time for the big move. That, that's why I kind of brought up the idea of moving a player that's like for like, right? You get a you get a grindy depth player that might also be a big body that you can maybe swap for Pugliari, for Vogel, someone in that same price range that does similar stuff where maybe they're not fitting on their respective teams right now. Because Pugliari, if we look at his stats from last year, he's he's like half in his production, right? So his his there there is the peak possibility that he's a he's a player that can get like a point every other game. That's that's effectively what he got last year. Right now he's about half of that. Mm-hmm. If there, I can imagine that there are teams where they're looking at Pugliarvi and thinking maybe he's having an off year. He's relatively young. Maybe we trade the Oilers someone who's also around the three mil mark. That's a big body that's not really producing for us, but maybe a little older because they're on the rebuilding phase, right? Right. You know, someone who's upper twenties, who's who they think, you know what, this guy's a veteran. He's not scoring for us for whatever reason. Maybe this is something that the Oilers could do. Right. The, the issue with that is I find that if you're bringing in a guy who's going to be a depth forward, you, maybe don't necessarily want a, another experiment someone who's not really scoring someone who's not really gelling if you were to make that sort of a, a depth move i would want it to be someone who can probably kill a penalty or maybe just facilitate a little bit of another aspect of the game like the physical aspect but if you're trading pulley for that 
the only thing you're really getting is the penalty kill. I guess one thing that could happen is you could bring in another center who can win faceoffs, right? Because that's one of the things that the Oilers have been lacking recently. It's possible, right? But I mean, this is all this is us chatting. When it comes down to it, I like Puljujarvi because of the physicality he brings to the team. Uh, I mean, Costin is the other one that's brought a lot of physicality that kind of fills in the gap for the Oilers when it comes down to checking and fighting and then getting people off the puck in a less flashy way, you know, mm. removing them by literally removing them from the play. Um, when it comes down to getting other players, if I was a neutral and just wanted maximum chaos, <laughs> I would get the highest scoring defenseman in the league right now just by going with the method, score more win. Right. But obviously right. that's not that's not how hockey works. And Full we, chaos. And, and nobody would and we can't afford Eric Carlson either. No. Right? Because the San Jose sorry. Yeah, San Jose Sharks aren't about to, you know, keep sixty percent of his cap for no apparent. Well they they can, right? We'd have to get like a third team, like a like a fifty and would, then fifty. It's it would cost be a, a lot. It would be, it would, be, it, would be, it would be a really crazy trade and it would be a lot of fun. To, to watch all Oilers game go like 7-6, but that's not exactly what the Oilers should do, right? Realistically, the Oilers shouldn't do any of that kind of, any of, that kind of stuff. Right, outscoring the problems, play to yeah. your strengths. I don't know, like, scoring is up in the league, but <laughs> is it an invitation to just not play defense, just go ham? I don't know about that. Um, one of the things I wanted to bring up, yeah, is the fact that if you go for a scoring defenseman instead of a, a shutdown sort of guy, uh, there's someone who's maybe in the fold, depending on how the rest of the season goes before the trade deadline. If you bring up the Florida Panthers, go to Gustav Forsling. The dude's only making 2.6 mil. It's, it's got another year. Of course, I don't know if Florida is going to go full on like, hey, you know what? Fuck it. Let's get a couple of assets. I don't I don't know if that's going to happen. It all depends on how poorly their season continues to slide. But honestly, like I'm in agreement. I think we don't need a, a big like shutdown defenseman because we already have a Deharnay. He can fit in on your like seventh defenseman, your bottom pairing. If you bring in a guy that can really skate, transition the puck, instead of making these sort of big stretch passes to the offense, that's something that this team could highly benefit from. And Forsling is a guy like that. Of course, Chikrin is a guy like that. You're worried a little bit about the cap hit there. All of these things, it's speculative. I, if if we're being honest, I think we're in for a pretty slow trade deadline. The Oilers are just so cash strapped. Um, I'm I'm more of the of the type to think depth forward, maybe a depth defenseman as you're trying to prepare for a playoff run. That's it. What do you want to see out of the trade deadline, and what do you think you'll see out of the trade deadline? I think I'm in agreement with you that for the Oilers. It's going to be a relatively boring trade deadline. Um, 
I actually hope that it's going to be a boring trade deadline for the Oilers. I don't want anything too crazy to happen because like we had mentioned earlier in the show that all the pieces for the Oilers when working as expected should fill in the gaps realistically. Right. But you know, we like last year when we had our playoff run, when things were working the way we thought we, you know, we overcame most of the challenges that we encountered. Right. The defense played defensively. They shut down a lot of other teams. And then our offense was allowed to do what they wanted to do. Yeah, they were allowed free reign. Yeah. Until we encountered effectively another team that does what the Oilers does, but better. Right. The Avalanche, the Avalanche, uh, like when they're healthy, they do very similar things. They have a defenseman that's incredibly offensive, but can also shut people down. And they also have elite scoring. Right. But that's the thing. If you're talking about Kale McCarr, he shuts him down with speed, mm-hmm. not physicality, right? We're moving into an age of the NHL where, if anything, speed and positioning can stop a lot more plays than just straight up running a guy over. Because running a guy over or tying him up nowadays is going to get you a penalty a lot more times than normal. Uh, of course, people are always going to say playoff hockey is a different beast. You're allowed to grip a lot more. You're allowed a lot more slashes, so on and so forth. If we're playing it by the rule book, <laughs> I'm going to say speed is more important. And that's why I like a guy, well, like a Chikorin or, you know, like a Forsling, not so much like a Gavrikov. We'll see. Um, it, it is weird to say but like in january we're already getting a good picture of who's making the playoffs and who's not so this is where ken holland if you're listening if you have a deal that you're working out with someone just pull the trigger <laughs> i just I, pull the trigger i would argue that if ken holland is listening to us for trade advice it's already <laughs> over it's too late this team is screwed Okay, we should be at the bottom of the totem pole for trade advice. Okay, we float. I just floated Eric Carlson. But how like, crazy would that be? No, well, like it would be incredibly entertaining. I don't want to see it happen. <laughs> right, but like, like you had mentioned, the the playoff picture has largely settled down. Um, I, 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 like I'm in the East. Wild card one and two. There's, there might be some chances there, and the same in the West. Like the wild cards can move around, but like in the Central, I think their their top two are firmly in there. So, yeah, I, like the big battleground seems to be the Pacific, and that's all just for rank. Like tonight, New York, like uh, sorry, the Islanders, they lost. Like the Rangers lost. Um, and then I think wild card right now is Pittsburgh and Washington, right? Yeah, Pittsburgh, Washington. Um, yeah, fifty six points. I don't, I don't see guys like Buffalo coming back. I don't see guys like Florida making a run. You can go ahead and clip this, roast me for it later on in the season if that's what you wanted to. But yeah, just given how they're playing, I don't think Buffalo has it quite yet. Next year they're going to be very scary, and Florida is just a mess <laughs> they i think they overestimated mackenzie Weger and just how much of an impact he has on that team so i mean completely off topic from edmonton right now i mean just glancing at it 
Washington's on a losing streak and Buffalo's on a win streak and they got three games in hand. You know, that's it's not over there quite yet, but I think I would agree with Florida. Things aren't looking so great on their end. Uh, they're they're four points back. They're tied with Washington for games played. So, but let's pull things back to the West here. Right, right. Sure. When, when, when he chatted off of stream, like our idea was that, or at least my idea is that the playoff cutoff might be around 96 points, I think. That seems relatively fair. It might be a little bit higher. Uh, he, for this division, I think that's pretty fair, like 96, the, the 96, is, 98. Like, the chat has actually said like the West is relatively weak this year, right? So It's chaos. Yeah. If we want to get 96 points, we need to maintain a point percentage of about like, you know, 60%. Realistically, like before the, 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 the all-star break, we had chatted and said that, oh, you know, for the next four games, or I guess the last past three and the upcoming one, out of these four games, we need six points. Because we beat Tampa, I was hopeful that we would get eight. Obviously, yeah. Oilers are going to Euler and we lose to <laughs> Columbus. We get so, one. So the best we can do is get seven now. But unfortunately, like LA, Vegas, and Seattle, they're having ups and downs, but they're still maintaining about a two-point gap ahead of the Oilers. So oh, yeah. in Seattle... I think Seattle smoked Vancouver tonight. Yes, they they got they got obliterated, right? Six one. That's that's the kind of game Edmonton should have realistically had today. Right, Play, playing like we have a high octane offense versus a team that's struggling to really maintain any kind of semblance of offense or defense. Unfortunately for them, they're they're minus sixty one for the year after today's game. We should have been able to to really just run over them when it comes down to our <laughs> offensive capabilities, but it just didn't happen today. So hopefully against Chicago, we at least get a point. You know, then then we'll get oh. the six six of eight possible points that you know we had brought up pre right. All Star break. Right, we shuffled oh. around. We initially thought the Tampa we wouldn't beat, and then yeah. these two teams we could have. But how pathetic is it that we're saying we hope we get one point against Chicago? It. it it, it's it's that thing where the Oilers play to their opponent, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's unfortunate, it's, but as if I was a neutral, it'd lead for some very entertaining games. But as an Oilers fan, it leads to very stressful games instead. Yeah, that's right. It's I think this this entire season there has been one or two games when I have been watching, and I decided to just lay down on the couch and not stress about it at all. Every other Oilers games. Every other Oilers game has to give me like heart palpitations. <laughs> like it's insane. Not bad for the health. <laughs> but you know we are uh, running a little bit long here. It's forty-one minutes already. Thank you so much for watching the show. If you are watching live on YouTube, give us a couple more likes. You know it really helps us grow the show. And if you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever it might be, be sure to leave us a review. Uh, I wanted to close it off with a little bit of a happy news. You and I are now both 30. Uh, <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> wanted to congratulate you on your 30th birthday, which oh, happened you. very recently. Uh, chat, give Kenny a little bit of a happy birthday, a little happy mm. belated birthday. And in that instance, uh, the Oilers are one of the youngest teams in the NHL. This means that there's still room to grow. And the fact that this team has prospects still. 
there's a couple of guys who I think I'm willing to trade and a couple of guys who I'm not. So I wanted to ask you this out of our, let's say prospects. So that still includes guys who are playing in the AHL and the NHL who is untouchable, who else, who, who is untouchable and who will you just say, yes, shut them out the door, shoot them out the door. If they are going to help us become a contender. I think when it comes down to it, there are realistically maybe five or six players that I would call untouchable on the Oilers, right? That, that many. Well, I, I would like to say McDavid, Drysaddle. Oh, okay, but but prospects, 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 prospects where things get a little bit difficult, right? I think with so, how the Oilers are currently playing, with the age of our players, I almost feel like anyone who's not currently coming up and down. To the NHL team, so people like Broberg, people, people of that okay. nature. So Bouchard, Broberg. I think we should keep both Bouchard and Broberg, and we would instead look at maybe moving CC. Right. Okay, so untouchable. Yeah, Dylan Holloway. I feel like Holloway can be moved. I feel like forward prospects might be movable. If Ooh. if it comes down to it, the Oilers need to somehow like become cup contenders, not just playoff bound, but cup contenders within the next three years. Right. That's our approximate That's time the window. frame. That's our approximate time frame before Dreisaitl and David need to re-sign again. And at new contracts and God, God oh, knows how much money that's going to be. Right. So we have an, like a three year time frame where we just, we need to become cup contenders. I, the, the Oilers are playoff contenders right now, but they need to take that next step. And forward prospects, I feel like, can be moved if it means winning within three. Makes sense. I I think Holloway is one of the toughest ones, right? Because Holloway seems like he's already gelled with this core. He is contributing, beginning to contribute at least. I think he will contribute during the next three years, this cup window. When it goes one step deeper, when you start getting into Borgo, Schaefer, guys like like Petrov, Tulio, that's when I'm I'm saying, yeah, you can you can go right ahead. Like I don't really care if they decide. Even like Nima Linen, he's played, he's gelled with the team. I think if you were to get a legitimate like third line defenseman, third or even like a really good third or fourth liner for a forward, I would trade out Nima Line, right? The only guys that are untouchable, I think, is Broberg, maybe Holloway. Even, like, Bouchard, he's been struggling right now. I, I want to keep him. But I would almost say if he's going to need a new contract, if he's going to be signed for, like, a, like $4 million on a bridge deal... Maybe you want to get a guy who's salary controlled for the next three years and you you just go for it, right? Like future be damned. Yeah. It's that is definitely a situation where looking at like cap friendly, we have three players um in our defense of Bouchard, Broberg, and Darnay who are not being paid very much. And yeah. I think we would realistically only need to keep two of the three. 
Exactly. And right. Deharnay, he's he's gonna stay cheap, right? Like even if he reaches his uh end of his contract, I think he's UFA, right? He's UFA. Right. Yeah, because he's 26 already. So even if he reaches the end of his contract, he's not going to be an expensive guy to re-sign. So this is the, the sort of fear where if we had signed Evan Bouchard to something of like a longer term, like a cleft bomb sort of deal early, we'd be paying the price now. I'm starting to lose, lose faith in dad. <laughs> I'm starting to lose faith in the guy. <laughs> In, in the grizzled veteran of Evan Bouchard at the age of 23. The 46 and yet at the same time 23-year-old. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's really difficult to say, right? It, uh, we, we don't know what calls are being made to our GM, right? But we need to win within three. And yeah. if we can keep our defensive core of six reasonable players or – like we don't need to keep three cheap defensemen. We realistically only need to keep two, right? That then we'll have sixty men, and then for forwards, as much as I would like to keep Holloway because he seems to be developing quite well, our forward six players on paper should be able to outscore any other six players on any other team, right? Because we have McDavid, Drysaddle, Hyman, Nuge, Kane, Kane, and then we slot in a sixth guy. Yeah. Well, you're right. Like you can find value contracts. They've Ken Holland found one in Clem Costin. I mean, Ryan McLeod obviously resigned at a phenomenal num- phenomenal number. Uh, but when you take guys like that, you might also end up signing a couple contracts like Devin Shore, like a like a Yanmark, who you know is still cheap, but maybe maybe not as cheap as you would hope his production value is. Um, I want to just end this stream by saying hey thank you so much for watching i will close it off with this chat message from mickinator 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 i will always go back to the 2006 oil they brought in pronger and we almost want it all food for thought if if you need to sell the future hey maybe you do it when mcdavid and dry are in their primes with three years left to go next game is saturday in edmonton chicago is visiting uh it's an 8 p.m mountain time puck drop and zach will be hosting that one thank you so much for listening in i've been dennis this is dr kenny van and we're signing off unfortunately not on a w tonight have a good one Bye-bye. Game over! Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada Sportsbook.